Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Reactive Attachments, the podcast. My name is Taylor, and I am rambling on for an hour today. Um, I wanted to really quick just kind of talk about vulnerable, I can't talk, vulnerability and, um, you know, showing your emotions when you are on high alert in your own house with your kids and you feel like you can't show emotion because um, you're dealing with a reactive attachment disorder or attachment disorder child um, and what that's like and why it's important and my experience with that. So yeah, Um, I'm going to hop right in. It is still in the midst of the coronavirus known as COVID-19 and we are coming off a lockdown. Um, Today is May 2nd. I think it's Saturday. (laughs) And um, yeah, so we've had kind of a lot of time stuck in the house with our kids and we are losing our minds, etc., etc. So let's talk about um, things like, um, say you are going through um, the emotions of losing your job, your finance, your finances are, um, you know, stressful right now, you're emotional. Let's say you've lost a parent yourself recently, you're grieving or something along those lines. Um, and you keep noticing that you're having a hard time showing emotion. You feel like you have to hold it back when you're interacting with your child. Um, especially the one, of course, that has an attachment disorder or um, is, in fact, um, a reactive attachment disorder diagnosed child. So um, what does that feel like? I mean, <clears throat> why do we feel that way if we're maybe not cognitively aware of it right off? Like you don't realize that when you're interacting with this child that you're having to put on the front. And that's hard because during times like these, I mean, not that we have a whole lot of resources to look back on to compare notes here, but in general, anytime there's something massively emotional that happens or tragic that happens in a family, um, most of the time you're gonna find that the, the, the most interactive parent, so usually the nurturing enemy, which is typically the mom, um, that is interacting with the child on a day-to-day basis is going to feel, um, extremely restrained and censored and just like they cannot express themselves how they're really feeling. You don't want to cry in front of the child. You don't want to show any weakness. And like I said, you may not cognitively be aware of that. Um, let me give an example of now. Yes, I was aware of it. Now, again, my story goes back many, many years, a decade and a half of dealing with a reactive attachment disorder child with an awareness that that's what I was dealing with. So for me, it was a different scenario altogether, but ultimately what I'm talking about is, um, is the same whether you have the awareness or not. So my mom passed away, destroyed my life for years, for like the last couple of years. I was really, really, really struggling um, in my life. Like just, you know, we lost everything financially, moving back and forth across the country. Um, We just had a really hard time and my mom's passing was very unexpected, very sudden. Um, And we didn't have, um, we weren't actively in home raising our um, goddaughter at the time. So... Um, my mom passed in 2016 and we didn't take her back in until 2017. Um, actually it was like right around the one year anniversary of my mom passing. So we, um, 
for example, like on the one year anniversary of her passing, we, was it, I'm trying to remember if it was that. Yeah, it was a one year anniversary. So it was in August and, um, we, uh, went to like put flowers on her grave, etc. And, you know, we just had to send, um, I think she was 13 at the time, I feel. Uh, we had to send her off with like some headphones and an iPhone or something to go listen to music. And when that, you know, like this is extremely emotional. My brother's there. My wife is there. We're crying. We're, you know, like doing like a little ritual, writing notes and putting them in this box. And, um, just really emotional. Like, I think my wife, um, I think she worked like a half day that day. It, you know, it was just really stressful. So, but you were showing, there's this huge outpouring of emotion from all three of us. She knew ahead of time. I talked to her about it. Like, Hey, if you're not going to be in an appropriate emotional state, that's okay. You don't have to feel any feelings about this, but you know, you need to be respectful of those of us who are, you know, really going through it right now. So I need you to just go walk around, go, you know, sit in the car, do whatever you need to do, but just kind of stay away. Let us have this moment, whatever. And I don't remember if it was like a service issue or something on the phone, but like middle of our little moment where we're talking about whatever it was and we're writing our notes, um, crying, etc. She like comes back up and she's like, Hey, will you blah, blah, blah. We fix this. And it's just, it's not a big deal. You know I mean? A lot of teenagers may respond, you know, teenagers are entitled. They're just selfish individuals. That's what they're supposed to do. in their in their developmental, uh, stages of teenage years, like they're supposed to be completely self centered and, um, self involved. So, but it's different with, with the rad kid because they tend to take those emotions and that weakness in that moment and exploit it or capitalize on it in a way that is um, counterintuitive. You know what I mean? So a normal child, and I, I hate to say normal, uh, what's a better, what do they say? Nor, neuro, neuro, I don't remember what they, how they say it. Um, but basically a regular person that doesn't have this disconnect um, would at least be able to read the room a little better. So she has to, and a lot of it is just, um, her actually wanting to read the room and know like, what can she get away with in this moment? So she like comes back and she's like, Hey, I think your phone locked or something. I can't get into it. I can't get back to it. I just wanted to change the video or the song. And I was like, put it on a playlist and go, you know, just, I need you to not continuously burden me with these like silly little requests. So Um, but you know, you can see her watching like her eyes, like she's reading my brother, she's reading my wife. She's, you know, made up a reason to come back over there and kind of just get a feel for what was going on. And I just have to, you know, in those moments, call her out and say, I'm not going to ask you again. If you don't, if you don't pull yourself out of this moment and, and do what's appropriate, you're going to go sit in the car until we're done. So, and for my child, that is the last thing she wants to do is, is be stuck in a car when she could be walking around outside, um, with very little supervision for that 15 minutes of time. So, um, you know, she never remembered, like, so we've talked about, she and I have talked about that moment. She barely remembers it, but all she remembers from that moment is that she had, um, opened 
Google to try to go to like a private window or something. And then my phone locked. So like, even in that moment, you see what I'm saying? She's looking for, um, um, a way to, you know, just, just exploit the weakness, the vulnerability that's being shown. She knows that I'm distracted. She knows that I'm trying to, you know, feel my own feelings and moderate those, all three of the humans around me, her, my wife, my brother, like I'm trying to lead this moment and, you know, she just wants to take full advantage of it. So, um, and I have a million other examples like that, but this was such a devastation losing my mom and she knew how, um, upset we were and how, um, important it was because we hadn't really been to the grave since the funeral and it was just, we had just moved back and I kept putting it off. So anyway, long story short, the whole point of this is to just say she had a full awareness of exactly, literally exactly what I was going through and how important this moment was. She was with us when we went to go get flowers, etc. And it's just unfortunate that in these moments we have to um, kind of compartmentalize our feelings and our interaction with our child. You can't just express grief um, in a natural and organic way. And that's, that's really, really devastating because I believe, and this is kind of like a whole different let me get off on a different topic for have a tangent here. I believe that grieving in our society is way, way, way under discussed. It is something that, you know, when you have these really significant losses, you lose a parent, you lose a child, a spouse, something very significant. Um, and you, you know, we all know people that have grieved. We all know people that have had losses and even say many of us have had significant losses, a grandparent, an uncle, um, maybe a cousin or something, a neighbor. But when you lose one of the integral people in your life, I mean, it really changes the fabric of who you are. The grieving process is so important because it really, it it maps out um, a lot of emotional tracks that you're going to eventually be on if you don't feel your feelings appropriately and you're not managing the, the process of grief. And I don't believe in the five stages of grief, but just the process of grief in general. And that could, you know, and that, that goes for things like divorce as well. I mean, whereas I don't think that like, if you're living your best life and your husband suddenly passes away or your wife suddenly passes away, I don't think that, um, is, I think that is definitely more devastating than divorce. I would say, However, divorce is in that same category as far as on the, on the scale of emotional turmoil and trauma, it is up there. I mean, it is, it is, I want to say like, there's, I remember from years ago, there was like a, uh, a life, you know, uh, like a life trauma scale. And, um, I think divorce, death, moving and career, uh, loss of career maybe, or like, maybe it's not, maybe loss of career isn't up there, but it's, it's definitely moving divorce and death are all at the very top of the list of emotional traumas. And so you have to grieve all kinds of things in your life. Um, even just ideals and ideas of who and what and where and when and how things go wrong all the time. And you have to let go of your 
your ideal of what you thought it was going to be. And that's an emotional process and grieving the loss of a parent, a child or a spouse, um, grieving that loss is not a quick five stage process that you just move and cycle through naturally. It is, you know, really changes the fabric of how you experience life and trying to mitigate that while dealing with someone who feels like almost, um, like you're living with the enemy at times. It feels like you're living with the unknown. You're living with someone who makes your, um, your fight or flight response. It engages your fight or fight or flight response and they're a child. So they're in your home and they're your dependent, but you're trying to manage the most vulnerable feelings that you're going to have. Um, and you have these feelings while living in a place where you have to be on guard all the time. It is very difficult and people don't understand. Um, I know like a lot of women who are going through a divorce or, um, actually let me segue back to, to this. Like, um, I'm in a shitload of, um, motherless daughter grief and coping groups on like Facebook and just different support, um, forums and whatnot. And I've stayed in them this whole time because, um, I do have, the drive to discuss grief in a bigger way at some point in the future. And it keeps me in check with how, how normal my own experience with grief was, even though the world wants you know, society wants to tell me that it was my, that it was an extreme response that I was, you know, over the top. I was overly emotional. Um, I was not managing myself well for way too long that I had way surpassed the appropriate amount of grief time allotted by society. So it reminds me all the time that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, most likely. I mean, some of these groups have a hundred thousand people in them, um, of, of women that are becoming motherless every day or have been motherless for decades and what those experiences look like for them. And it reminds me that, I mean, there are women and I see this literally every single day. There are women that say, um, I'm here for advice because I don't even want to live anymore. I, I don't feel connected to my children. I don't feel connected to my husband since I lost my mom. And I don't even care if I live or die. That's like, that is not a, a rare um, thing to hear from someone who has recently lost their mother. So, and like, you know, we talk about on this podcast and in these realms of of discussion, we talk all the time about that connection between your biological mom. I know I've harp on it pretty much every podcast and you know, my experience with grief alone taught me so many things about reactive attachment disorder, just for one example. So, you know, with that being said, you know, women across the globe are suffering from, from these really desperate moments in their life. These, these really, um, life altering experiences of, of loss and of tragedy. And they're doing so, um, under the guise of being fine and that they're okay because internally there's a battle and there's a battle of, am I, do I really want to let my guard down and be honest? Do I really want to continuously tell my husband or my partner, um, how I'm feeling as, as far as my loss and my, my circumstantial, um, emotional response to something. 
do I really want to com- continue complaining and and be transparent about this on top of the daily battle with trying to raise this child that has this attachment dis- you know, disorder that's disconnected, that feels assaultive, that feels counterintuitive? Do I really want to continue complaining about this? And most of the time they don't. They don't. They want to just cry into a pillow when everybody's asleep or they want to, you know, just drown themselves in booze or they want to hide in the bathroom or they get so overly involved in their activities and their hobbies that they're, you know, like, oh, we got 16 sports we're doing and they just stay busy. It's almost like, um, it's a, it isn't almost, it is a coping mechanism. It's like using drugs or using alcohol or sex or whatever to just manage yourself. And I have a, a system of thinking where I believe that you just do whatever the hell you have to do to get through some of these really difficult times. And not everybody comes out of that okay. That's the truth. Not everybody comes out of these moments without an addiction, without a divorce, without a loss of um, financial stability. Not everyone survives the same way they went into the, the scenario. Um, a lot of times people are exposed to the truth, to the, to the psychopathy and the sociopathy of these children when they are at their lowest because they don't have their guard up yet. And during this time is when the, fir- the first initial assault happens. Oh, this is a massive weakness in the system that has intimidated me thus far. All right, I'm going to exploit this now. And and they just send it on that ass. They just, they disrupt and they, um, they disrupt and call, they disrupt every system that you've put in place that you thought was stable enough to get you through this moment. You thought you had everything intact and then boom, all of a sudden there is just utter chaos, dumpster fire madness happening in your house. And that's because they saw the opportunity and they have really, um, push that agenda forward, if that makes sense. I hope this is all making sense. I know it's rambly, but you know, that's just my style. So hopefully that is, uh, followable that you guys can track this as I'm rambling on. But, you know, I know I talk a lot about scenarios and, and I mention these things that people may or may not be experiencing, but I don't always have a lot of solutions. It's more of just a validation. And I try actually in my life to mostly do that because I've learned um, as a person that's always being sought after for my advice, my advice that, um, what's, you know, my solutions, they may be the only solution I know. Um, but they're not always the best solution. And also what I really and truly hate to tell you guys, if you didn't already know, there isn't really a solution for reactive attachment disorder behaviors. I mean, you're doing the best that you can in most of these scenarios, you're showing love or you have already decided to implement some kind of a structured, um, either they're in a, your kid is in a facility uh, like RTC, or you are implementing some kind of a power, um, balance between you and your partner with the child and discipline and whatever else, like you're already doing the best you can. What I will tell you is this, if you don't have an awareness and now you do, like if you didn't realize that your child was capable of capitalizing on and really like sending the pain while you're already in a lot of pain and, and, and try, you know, you're in a tragic situation, you're struggling, you're emotionally distraught, whatever. If you thought that your child was going to show any kind of um, compassion or empathy and you're realizing now that they can't or they haven't or doesn't feel genuine, understand two things. One, 
That child doesn't feel remorse. That child doesn't feel empathy in 90% of cases. Okay. That's something we know. We know that they don't naturally have a, an ability to feel empathy for other humans. They just don't, they don't have that empath quality. So anything that they're trying to do is either one of two things. There's an agenda or they're trying to, um, emulate what they see in the world as empathy, but it doesn't mean it's genuine and that's okay. Like I've talked to my kid about it. Like that's okay. If you don't really feel it, which we've established, she doesn't. And, and you're, you want to, you want to feel bad. That's what she would always say. I want to feel those things. I want to feel, um, I want to feel sorry. I want to feel sad. I want to feel remorse. I want to feel compassion, whatever. Um, and you know, find a language or a way to communicate with this child that resonates with them. So like, you know, we went through a bunch of scenarios, um, where she would feel sorry and sad basically for herself. Right. Okay. So you feel sorry for yourself. You feel sad for yourself. You are are able to show yourself those emotions or have those emotions, um, show up when, when you're in this position, if you can, how would you, how would you like for someone to respond if it were you? How would you want people to feel um, or behave towards you if you were feeling these things? And then try to show those types of courtesies, especially with acts of service. Like, even if you can't give words of affirmation, you can't show love in that way during this time, try to definitely explain or teach them not to make things more difficult, um, not to create more burdens, not to, um, be difficult to towards you or in the house, just, you know, creating more chaos, but try to, um, you know, give them examples of things they can do. If like, Hey, if you see that, you know, I'm standing in the kitchen with my back towards you and I'm getting emotional. I'm crying, you know, do me a favor and just take the dogs on a walk. You know, don't ask me if I'm okay. Don't try to get my attention, you know, just, just hop into action and make sure they know that, you know, you're, you're going to have an awareness of it. Even if you're not going to show them, um, that you're aware of their efforts say like, Hey, I may not tell you, thank you in that moment, or I may not acknowledge that you've done that, but that's, what's going to mean the most to me. And I will, I will give you credit for, for those efforts eventually. And now would be like a good time to even negotiate. You know, if, if there is something that this kid wants, like maybe they don't have their PlayStation or they want their iPhone back or whatever it may be. You know, now is the best time to be like, hey, if you can do these things and show this initiative for, you know, here's an indication that you should go walk the dogs. If you see me and I put my hand up and I just say no, or if I say not right now, please go, please go find something to do. Or maybe there's no verbal indicator, whatever. Um, Tell them like, you know, if you can do this for the next week and really give me my space and, and not get yourself in trouble, then you might get your phone back early. Or maybe it's something else that they really want to go and stay the night with their best friend or do whatever. You know, use these moments. If you have no other resource, use your ability to 
have the foresight and the foreshadowing <laughs> checked in the capacity to like really zoom out and see what you need and, and how to get it because just like they manipulate us for what they need and how to get it you can do the same thing i mean you know be willing to to bend and to be flexible when you need something as well you know we let a lot of times we draw these really hard lines for ourselves and we're like you know i will suffer with you we can we'll just suffer together to make sure this discipline moment happens when if you don't have resources, you don't have anyone that could take the kids, maybe your partner's working from, uh, like working out of town or whatever the case may be, you need to check into your ability to self-preserve and care for you. Self-care, that's like such a trendy word or term. Like have the capacity to take care of yourself, even if that's all you have for the day. Even if all you have for the day is I need to grieve, I want to eat Ben and Jerry's and watch movies and cry in my bed all day, how can I achieve this? And I know if you have two and three-year-olds, like that's a whole different situation, but maybe if you have a couple dollars, hop online and have a babysitter come that's like, you know, with one of the, um, like the We Care app or, wh- or whatever, like maybe the neighborhood kid can come and just sit through an extra two hours after nap time and you can have a four hour bath and, and watch a movie or something like be creative for yourself as well. Um, we are going through times that are deeply impactful on who we're going to be for the rest of our lives. And one day the season will come where you graduate parenting, um, as a, as a parent of dependence and you're going to have children that are not in your house and you're going to have a human being staring back at you that you don't know that is broken and and traumatized and is um, difficult to enjoy company with and is difficult to communicate with. If you let your experience, whether it's with adoptive children or foster children or whatever, stepchildren, if you let your experience in this life either put you on autopilot and make you you, um, asleep and unaware and not engaged in your own active existence, or if you become so angry and bitter and and resentful that you can't even function within your own um, home, within your own uh, traumas and milestones. So, you know, during COVID-19, there are a lot of things that we can do right and a lot of things that we can do wrong. And the number one thing we can do wrong is if you have been impacted, if you're going through something that is traumatic, which many of us or most of us are in some way, job loss or financial, you know, demise, sickness, um, you know, isolation from your parent that's in care, whatever it may be. If we don't check in with ourselves and really respond to, to our need to just sit with our own feelings, feel them, process them and make the right actions and take a compartmentalized, isolated break, whether that's in a bedroom, in your car, outside, whatever, from the chaos that is our parenting existence, then we're going to do damage to our psyche and our emotional wellness that we'll be dealing with long after we should be paying for it. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking of you guys. I really do. I worry about everyone. I love everyone. I appreciate all the comments and shares and messages and all the things, you know, um, I am always thinking about and trying to figure out a way to improve my own um, engagement with this podcast as well as the social media presence. So 
I'm always looking for your communications and, you know, I'm looking for you guys to give me guidance <laughs> a lot of times. But this, th these thoughts came to me today. I was very active out in the world today and I um, haven't really been super active in the world. So, so like, I think this is my first time really driving at night. So like, I just pulled out of Lowe's with my lights off. Thank you for the person that flashed their lights at me. Um, but like being out in the world and seeing the sadness in people's faces and eavesdropping on conversations when you're standing in line, um, you know, I just, I hear the desperation in people's voice and I heard, um, and I just, you know, I heard the desperation in people's voice and I just saw the desperation in their eyes at checkout, like the, the cashiers. I went to quite a few stores today that had to go to the, to the um, bank. I just like, I had things I had to do and I just, I could just feel kind of that. It's like people are optimistic and they're out and about, but I can feel that weight and that burden of whatever, you know, people are going through and they're not, they're not actively wearing a sign that says like, I've lost my job and I can't afford groceries, you know? So I, I just, I'm, I feel very much, um, in intuitively aware of the struggles and the, you know, just like the desperate need to get a lot of things done with a li limited amount of resources and, you know, a lot of emotional baggage, you know, it's just, it's a hard life for us. And there's a lot of parents out there that have, I think the word is nor neuronormative families and they, you know, it just doesn't resonate. Like, like they have, if they lose a parent, AKA a grandparent of a child, then that child is going to have emotions connected to that loss. That child has emotions connected to their parents' loss. When you are going through these really intense um, emotional traumas uh, and trying to grieve and trying to feel, you know, your way through it, like, and you have a child at home that is waiting to pounce on any opportunity or weakness that you show when they don't actually feel any kind of um, genuine levels of, um, remorse or, or empathy or compassion. They, they almost get off on seeing you struggle and hurt. Um, it is really just an experience that you can't explain to other people. And it's an experience that is so isolating when you're in your own safe place that isn't safe. And people will doubt that that's even real. They, they don't even believe that that's your experience. Shit, let alone that um, they, they, they offer you any kind of, um, uh, like, any kind of resources to help you or help in general, like physically themselves helping you. They don't even believe you. They think that you're crazy and it's just insult to injury when, you know, you're like, you don't understand. Like, I can't cry in front of my kid. I can't. My, I don't want to talk about my mom that I just lost in front of my kid. Like my kid is going to use those moments as weapons against me in my own, like my own journey with this. Like I can't be sad at home. You don't understand. They're going to think that you're crazy and that you're way too hard on the kid and that you are, you've really lost it now, you know? So there are experiences as parents that are so singular, you know, and, and I just, I hope that for those families that are having strife in the home, you know, where the child 
has triangulated the mom and the dad. We talked about triangulation on the last episode, but you know, the mom can't even, you know, rely on the dad or whatever, whoever is, you know, within the triangulated manipulation, um, narrative, like there is no worse feeling. There's no deeper sense of, um, desertion. You know, you just feel deserted and you feel so alone and the gaslighting. I mean, it's just so much. So you're not alone. Um, please find resources on Facebook groups for parenting support, step parent support, foster care support. Um, you know, if you dig deep enough and you speak your mind enough in safe places, you will find that other doors open, you know, very private niche support um, groups for things that are controversial will open for you. If you have questions, please reach out. Um, you know, I, I, I do, I really think about you guys and I hope everyone is doing the best, doing the best considering the circumstances they have. And, um, I'm also going to be working on a, um, a a fund, like a charity type, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for here? Um, just a financial resource. Oh my gosh, excuse me. And I would like to donate the proceeds from the podcast, which are very minimal right now and, um, from social media and stuff. So I'm going to be working on that. I'm just kind of throwing it out into the ether so that it can, you know, be out there and I can be accountable to it. But again, I I really do want to help in any way that I can, which isn't much, but I definitely do have access to people and to facilities or, um, people that have facilities all over the country, all over the world. So if you ever are in a really desperate place and you feel like you have nowhere else to go, send us a message on, um, Facebook or Instagram at reactive attachments. You can always send us an email. Um, I actually have a phone number now. Let me look at it because I don't know it by heart. Um, ah, let's see. So that phone number is You can text that number if you're ever in like an emergency situation, you need help. I can't promise you that I will be able to answer, but, um, like, or not answer, but give you, give you a, the answer, but I will do my best. Um, so you can always send us a text or call, leave a voicemail. You can leave a voice message on anchor.fm reactive attachment disorder podcast. (laughs) There's a voice message, um, portion, you know, uh, icon. You can leave us a voice message there, reactiveattachments at gmail.com. You know, um, we are here, we are listening. So, um, be well guys. And remember self-care, your, your journey through sadness, grief, loss, mourning, it is real. And you do have the right to, um, to your, to your feelings. So, all right, you guys, I'll talk to you soon. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Um, We do have a YouTube now as well at Reactive Attachments. So, you know, trying to be everywhere you are. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.